All right, welcome back, everybody. We've got an awesome guest for you tonight. Um, super knowledgeable and years and years of information gathering. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, a lot. I don't even know how this man was able to do the things he did. He must have been running ragged, like, nonstop for a while. <laughs> no kidding. He was just an all-around great guy. It was really neat to pick his brain and that he shared the information he did with us. So we know you guys will like this one. Yeah, yeah, especially if you like math. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, it's fascinating, though. It is. It is. Definitely can't be a coincidence. And he breaks it down so you'll understand it, even if you don't like math. Yeah, which I don't, but <laughs> I found it interesting. So, Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. yeah. So thanks for the support, guys keep it coming keep the five stars coming the encouraging reviews coming we love seeing those it helps keep us going and keep telling your friends your family anyone yep. else you can think of that's into into the strange and well they don't goofy. have to be into the strange what do they have to be into well they can listen if they don't like it I guess that's true. But then they might leave us bad ratings. <laughs> but just tell them they're not allowed to leave bad ratings. <laughs> yeah, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. Get your friends uh, hooked on the silver pill. Yes. Yes, we need need more people waking up and seeing what's really going on. Yep. Sell it on the street corners. Yeah. In the alleys at the dead of night. Right. Yeah. That. <laughs> Good luck explaining that to the police officer. <laughs> just selling silver pills, police officer. <laughs> It's a podcast, I swear. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive into it with Mr. Fritz Zimmerman. everyone we're silver pilled podcast i'm harrison and i'm lowell and if you want to share an experience with anything paranormal or unexplained shoot us an email at silverpilled at gmail.com and if you want to follow us on social media check us out at instagram at silver pilled podcast
the accounted giants in the Bible called the uh, Amorites. Now there were the Emmons, the Zimmon, you know, they had all the different tribes. But the Amorites actually controlled Babylon from 2000 BC until 1600 BC. And that's when you had Hammurabi, the first laws. They had developed advanced mathematics, advanced trigonometry. They actually say that their advanced trigonometry is more advanced than our modern advanced trigonometry. Um, pi, square root, squaring a circle. But we find this in all of the uh, mounds. Not in all of them, but the geometric earthworks. We see the use of trigonometry. Uh, there's a Pythagorean triangle in one squared circles um at newark ohio there's a huge hinge it's 3700 feet in circumference wow and then it's connected to a square where each side is 925 feet in length awesome. which adds up to 3700 feet so they would have had to have figured out pi r squared so they would have had to figure out the circumference to know how to make the square. And then there's the circle in the octagon. And the circle is 210 feet or 1050 feet. And there's probably like six different circles attached to squares. And they're all 1050 feet. Wow. And if you put a square in the octagon, each side is 1050 feet. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And the distance from, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look up the Newark Earthworks on your phone. The distance between the circle attached to the octagon and then the big hinge, it's 3,700 feet, is 1050 times 6. And the distance between the octagon and the 925-foot square is six times 1050 foot oh my god and then the highest ground in that area is 6400 in some feet but geller hill which is the highest place and there's all these like you can tell it had been plowed but there's a bunch of mounds up there so if you draw a line from the circle of the circle in the octagon and the octagon itself and draw it up to Geller Hill, you have a perfect isosceles triangle. Oh wow. my God. They're the exact same distance. Wow. And then from Geller Hill, you can draw two lines because the octagon, every one of the openings is part of the eight moon rises and moon sets so you have maximum moon rise minimum moon rise maximum moon rise uh, maximum moon set but there's eight of them so every one of those things of this earthwork is aligned to one of these lunar events Jeez. but you can draw an isolate an isosceles triangle from geller hill and go right through the two openings that are maximum moonset and maximum moonrise. 
So the whole thing is, this was not built by Native Americans. They did not know how to. And then we have other earthworks um, where the circle is 20 acres, the square is 20 acres. Again, you would have to be able to square a circle. So this mathematics just shows up everywhere. Like a lot of the hinges are 210 feet in diameter and 210 comes out to 660, oh. which they use more than they did. Well, there's three earthworks that are 666. And that was a Babylonian number for the sun. And 1080 was the number for the lunar or earth mother, but she was represented by the square. And there's five earthworks in Ohio where there's a big circle, but every one of the squares is 1080 feet per side. So the numerology matches up with the Amorite numerology. Okay. Of 666. But they used 660 because it worked well with the 210. Now, 210 times 5 is 1050. Okay. And 1050 is the size of a lot of circles. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So, like, the junction works, we have two hinges that are 210, and then two next to it that are 120. Mm. So, 210 and 210 and 120 and 120 are 660. And then across from that, it's kind of a circle and a square combined. But that one is 240. So 210 and 210 and 240 are 660. Wow. So not only is the diameter 660, the earthworks around it are 660. Now, there was an MIT professor that was into what they call ancient metrology. And he said that the mound builders in the Ohio Valley were using the exact same foot that we use today, which there's been different feet, but he said this was an ancient foot. That our foot is ancient, but mm. the Babylonians, see, they use a base 12. Well, they call it a base 60, but you can break it down to a base 12 or a base six. Okay. So every earthwork is always divisible by six, 12, 60. Wow. So they had all this, all this numbers going on in all the earthworks. So the circle represented the sun and it'll always have a sun number, 660 or even the circle with the octagon if you take the 210 times 5, you get 1050. So it's a derivative of the 210. Okay. So the numerology shows us that it's it's a sun number. Aye, aye, aye. Now, if you double 280, 1080, you get 2160. So 216 is always an interesting number because it's a sum total of 6 times 6 times 6. And it's not like two earthworks. It's all over the Ohio Valley. Do you think they were building them to these numbers to signify like what deity they're they're being built for? Yeah, there's a guy. I wish 
I wish I would have remembered his quote because I'm putting together another book and I just stuck it in there. Um, but they believe numbers had power. Okay. So not only would you want to build something, a shape of sacred geometry, you would also want to have the numerology. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, it goes down as weird as the Winchester Earthworks um, south of me by about two hours. The east-west walls are 1,320 feet. That's 660 times two. Oh, wow. The north-south walls are 1080. Oh, and just, oh my gosh, two miles away, there's a square earthwork where the walls were 780 foot. Okay. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure that out. Like, why would they build 780? It's like, that doesn't show up anywhere. But if you subtract 1320 or 780 from 1320, you get 540. So you get oh, 540 on each one of the walls. So 540, 540, 1080, 2160. So they even had two earthworks that they were playing around with the numbers stuff. How many of these mounds have you visited, Mr. Zimmerman? 700. 700. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's physically going to 700. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it took uh, 12 years. Well, no one had ever done a, uh archaeological survey of Indiana. So I went to about 400 of those sites here in Indiana. Archaeologists knew of 30 mounds. I photographed 85. Oh wow. my gosh. And I absolutely hate archaeologists. So it was just a way to spit <laughs> in their face. <laughs> but they don't they don't recognize me. They don't recognize me at all. Seems like anybody who goes against what what they say happened, they Yeah, they the blacklist. mainstream narrative. Yeah. So do you do you think that these mounds were something else besides like the a form of worship to you know the sun and the moon seems like a lot of attention was put into them because we've heard from we had la marzuli on our show and he's talked about like strange paranormal activity that goes on there and even um crop circle correlations to the mounds no but there's a lot of ghost stuff around there really? I had, yeah we were at geller hill i was with la marzuli and we were uh, shooting one of the episodes of In Search of the uh, Nephilim. And one of the girls, she had one, of, I think it's an MLS. You know those stick figures you see? Oh. We had one of those on Geller Hill. And then we went to the Great Stone Mound, which is south of Newark. This is Stone Mound that was 60 feet high. And they took 50,000 wagon loads of the rock and that line the columbus reservoir oh wow which gosh. is you can see from the mound you can see the water but they use that as rickrack for the reservoir oh okay but they took fifty thousand. and when i was there i went with there was a paranormal team and i went <clears throat> i went with them and I had two different entities. And generally when I watch paranormal shows like Ghost Adventures, you know, because they use that. 
you know, those things will stay on for maybe like two seconds. Yeah. And this thing was with me for about two minutes. And it kept touching me and touching me. And when I was done, I was so drained. It was like I ran 10 miles. Oh, wow. So it like drained all the energy out of me. So there's entities everywhere around these sites. You see, when God sent the Nephilim to Earth, he said, you you will be earthbound. So the mounds are portals. So if you're looking for portals, they're mounds. That's pretty, that's wild. I mean, it would make sense, though. So is that why the Native Americans, because didn't, I know they didn't build the mounds, but they seem to have held them to a higher respect. Is it because they knew what they were? We find intrusive burials in a lot of the mounds. So they were burying their dead in the mound. So I can tell you that, and that's not real prevalent. You know, it wouldn't be like half. It would be like 5%, something like that. So not enough to say, yeah, they buried their dead in the mounds too. Generally, Mm. they'll find one maybe like a foot deep towards the top. And, and they know that's an intrusive burial, but the Indians wouldn't go generally into the lands where the giants were. Okay. Like West Virginia, Indians didn't live there. They would go in there and hunt a little bit, but they didn't live there. Okay. okay. Or they would live right on the Ohio River, but not in the interior. Uh, they stayed away from Kentucky, and the Shawnee called the Kanawha River. Now, the Kanawha River comes out at Point Pleasant, and that's where the Mothman is. Mothman, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what the Shawnee called the Kanawha River? No. It's the River of Evil Spirits. And then you go down the Kanawha to, the Charles, to Charleston, and there's a big mound called the Creole Mound. Now that's still there, but flanking that were two hinges. One aligned to the summer solstice sunrise, and the other one on the other side was aligned to the winter solstice sunrise. But both of them were 666 feet in circumference. And that was done by the Smithsonian. Like all through that whole, that whole area. I mean, because I know even by me in northern, well, I think it's about three hours south of me in Tennessee. There's the the Pin Pinson Pinson Mound. Yeah. And I suppose I don't know the height of it, but it's supposed to be one of the largest mounds in this area, and we're. I mean, we're pretty far. It's pretty far away from the the Ohio River, so they must have really been all over in this area. Well, the Pinson Mount is Mississippian. Oh, is and, it? Yeah, that could date as early as six. It's probably like eight hundred eighty, and we're talking five hundred BC to the latest around 580. Oh, wow. wow. So they were yeah, here so, that long. Yeah, they uh, 
they did a uh, archaeological dig on the circle, the hinge at uh, Newark and found charcoal that dated to 800 BC. And Wayne May knew a girl that was on the dig and the subsequent findings, the carbon, uh, and it dated 800 BC. And Brad Lepper is the head of the Ohio Sword Society. He's like, well, that doesn't fit into the time frame. So he left it out of the report. Oh my god. But we've been saying these are these are older than some of them 500 BC. That was one piece of charcoal that, you know, knocked it back 300 years. But the way archaeology works is if it doesn't fit into their paradigm, then they don't publish it or they get rid of the evidence. So that's what we're up against. Well, that's- we're up against the universities. Yeah, and the I would say woke, the Smithsonian, the woke, too. Yeah, woke, crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, the head of the Smithsonian back in the 1800s, uh, Cyrus, he said, nothing will be reported about the mound builders except they are Native American. And he put that diktat out there, and the universities followed it, and the Smithsonian followed it. Now, there's a guy, and I can't give his name, but, well, let me give you his name. His name is Alzheimer, and he's the one that was promoting the Salutrian theory, that the Salutrians were here, like five, 7,000 BC. Okay. But the guy has looked at more skulls, and he works for the Smithsonian than anybody else in the country. Well, I was talking to his secretary and I said, I'm going to send you a picture. It's like, would you take this picture to Owsley and just give me a racial ID on it? And the skull was from a mound at Circleville, Ohio. And he said, well, it appears to me to have Caucasian attributes. So then I got his email and I told him, well, you know, that skull is from a uh, burial mound in Ohio. And then he gave me the hibbity-dibbity. Well, not all the traits were Caucasian. You know, <laughs> there, could have been, there could have been some Native American, uh, you know, qualities in there as well. It's like, well, you told me it was a Caucasian skull, you know. Mm-hmm. A Native American skull looks completely different. Yeah. So he was trying to deny it. And... Uh, you know, I think he was a little upset that he got, you know, fooled <laughs> like that. So, you know, the Amorites would have been an Indo-European people, but a lot of their skulls actually look more Cro-Magnon. And then I have in the Encyclopedia of Giant probably 350 accounts where they had bulging brow ridges. And absolutely no skull. It went straight back, almost like a uh, a Neanderthal skull. So most of them look like that. At least 40 to 45% would have looked more Neanderthal than 
modern human. But even Josephus said back in the second century or whatever, because they were still finding the giant bones, you know, over there in the Levant. And he said they have countenances different than any modern man. So he was saying that their their faces were completely different or their skull types were completely different than modern man's. So that came from Josephus about the giants over uh, in the Levant. Wow. And then we find the same thing in New Haven. But we also find the same thing over in England. Bulging brow ridge, slanted skull, wide jaw. Uh, a lot of them had uh, an occipital bun. And an occipital bun is generally associated with Neanderthal. However, your Northern Europeans retained that until about 2000 BC. So either Northern European, well, see, that explains why we have accounts of them having double rows of teeth. It was just a messed up gene pool, is yeah. that you were getting, I don't know, Neanderthal teeth, but you were getting a human jaw, and then somehow it produced a bunch of teeth. But it's all, you know, genetic shakeup. But we know now... You know, and it's so frustrating because even in high schools today, they teach the replacement theory. And the replacement theory is that Cro-Magnon killed all the Neanderthals and replaced them. Okay. And we now know that the Cro-Magnons mated with the Neanderthals. And if you are from Northern Europe, you have as much as 5% Neanderthal DNA. And if you have red hair, that originated from Neanderthal. Oh, wow. Neanderthal was the one that carried the what was called the ginger gene. So that's why people in the North have red, blonde, blue eyes, green eyes, and people to the South don't. That's why they look so different. It's because they had mated with the uh, Neanderthals. That would put us at about 10,000 BC. And biblically, when the fallen angels came down and mated with the women, we really don't know what the date of that is. But we do know this. We do know that the fallen angels shared the secrets that they weren't supposed to share with them, and that was math, mm -hmm. the rising and setting of the moon, oh. rising and setting of the sun. Okay. So all this knowledge that springs up with the Amorites, yeah. the cradle of civilization is the Amorite, oh, the God. giants. It was the giants that brought all of that knowledge. And the Amorites were one of the accounted giants in the uh, Bible. So when you say it's like, well, were they evil? It's like, no, no. They, they brought us so much. They brought us math, science. But all of those secrets you can find in the earthworks in the Ohio Valley. Tracking the moon, tracking the sun, mathematics, numerology, all that is there. You know, not to 
dismissed Native Americans, but they just did not have square roots, pi, and trigonometry. They didn't do it. They didn't have it. They couldn't have built this. I had heard that many Native American tribes even will credit the giants for being here first. They do. I don't know. I have like 15 different stories of Native Americans saying, no, we didn't build these mounds. They were here when we got here. So like, like right now, the Shawnee have claimed the uh, serpent mound because they were living in Southern Ohio in the historic age in the 1700s. And it's just such bold because the Shawnee have no history of ever burying in mounds. They just don't. And then the uh, Serpent Mound is aligned to the summer solstice sunset. And nowhere in their religious icons or anything, do they have anything solar? in there oh wow okay nor do they have any serpents you know you don't see johnny this with the serpent on it like the the serpent was one of the main pantheons of their gods another thing is that if you look up the old copper culture which is up around the uh copper mines where there's five hundred thousand tons of copper that are missing we can't account for it and one uh, researcher said it would have taken ten thousand men a thousand years to mine that much <laughs> to mine wow. that much copper and we don't find copper in the mounds we'll find maybe a copper bracelet or something like that but this is wholesale mining for export and you could pick up copper you could go up there it's just laying on the ground so if you wanted to make a little ring or a bracelet you didn't have to dig mines they brought up one piece of copper a lobe that was five thousand tons and they lifted that up out of the ground and they're not doing that for earring you know it's a little overkill (laughs) And then around, I think it's Titusville, Pennsylvania, where they first struck oil. Oh, okay. Great. Well, well, the oil there is called Pennsylvania crude, and it's almost like a, a honey color to it. But okay. it's so pure that you can burn it in a lamp, and it wouldn't burn dirty. So you wouldn't have smoke coming out of it. It would just be flame. So they called it sweet crude, Pennsylvania sweet crude, but you didn't have to refine it. Wow. It just came out of the ground. What well, do you know how many pits there are? Ancient pits? 5,000. Whoa. Oh and they were all wood logged. So they would wait for the uh, oil to seep up and then scoop it out. Oh, and they had 5,000 thousand of them so it's very possible that the streets of nazareth when jesus was walking around the lamps were being uh lit by uh pennsylvania oil oh (laughs) Oh, my gosh (laughs) but 
5,000. And again, we're talking industrial scale. This isn't for the local population, not no. 5,000. You would build two or three, maybe. Yeah. And if you're even doing the whole Ohio Valley, probably a couple of hundred would have done. Oh, my God. 5,000 and built well, too. Yeah. Like I said, they were all cribbed in with logs, so no contaminants and dirt and all that would get into it. And you never hear anything about it. Now, you do from people like me, but an archaeologist isn't going to say that. But yeah. I digress from the weapons that they were making up there. It's a spear. And then it has what's called a tank. Okay. So it's a long, just a long, like a pencil, like imagine an arrow, but like a like two pencils long coming out of it. Okay. So they would use that to have to do, you know, the wood pole, you know, in battle so they could stick you and kill you. Well, then the Amorites came up with a revolutionary invention called the socket, which we still use today. Yeah. yeah. On your shovel, your hose, for your garden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not the other kind. <laughs> but you look at the weapons there, and they move from the tang to the socket, just like over in the Middle East. They move from the tang to the socket. When the Amorites invented the socket, it gave them a military advantage because, you know, their weapons wouldn't break. Yeah. I mean, the more you pound it into something, the more stuck in there it is. So how does the socket, at the exact same time they're inventing the socket over there, it shows up over here. And then... It just disappears. It's like when the Amorites disappeared from the Ohio Valley and the Giants, all of a sudden there's no sockets. Oh, wow. So those Native Americans are like, you know, this military advantage over our, our enemies is all good, but let's go back to the good old Stone Age days, you know, which they did. Native Americans were a Stone Age people when we came over here. They didn't have anything metal, but if you look at those weapons, they're identical. I could put the even Tang daggers from Minnesota or Wisconsin uh, next to something you would find in the Middle East, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference because they even in Lake Superior, they had a midrib running through them. And that was a major innovation, was the mid-rib because it gave it so much more strength to yeah. pierce armor. But we have the mid-rib in Wisconsin, Minnesota, where we find most of these artifacts. We don't find them, really don't find them in the Ohio Valley. There were some socketed uh, spearhead that was found with six giants all around eight foot in new york and they had them with them but that's the only instance where i could put the giants and the spearheads uh together at the same time but later on because of course you know they were using the uh 
sockets. So there's more than enough, more than enough outside of just giant bones found over here. There's more than enough evidence that they were here for a long time. And using their technology. So then I'm the person that put all that together. Yeah. So some of it's in Nephilim Chronicles, Fallen Angels, and then some of it, of course, is in, in the encyclopedia as well. Where can people find your books if they're interested in, in getting them? Uh, Amazon. Okay. Sometimes we have people on who don't who who sell just off their websites or something. So I always want to give people a, a chance to shout out if they have a they have different places they like to sell. So check out Amazon. Everybody, if you want to, if you want to get these books, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's an encyclopedia. There's the Nephilim Chronicles, Fallen Angels. There's a travel guide. Okay. Now, the travel guide, I have 222 mounds and earthworks in Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, and I think I had six in Michigan. Oh. Uh, but of course, I told you that. I went to 400 sites here in Indiana, photograph 85. 60 of those mounds you've never seen pictures of. But over in Ohio, a lot of the mound sites are uh, address restricted. Well, I found all those mounds. There are about oh. 40 of them. Oh, wow. And they're all in my travel guide. I lifted the restriction. <laughs> <laughs> But some of these mounds are the biggest in Ohio. Oh, really? We're talking 40 and 50 foot mounds that are address restricted. And I'm sure if you're a local, you know where it is. But if you are, you know, sightseeing and yeah. you wanted to go see the mounds in Ohio, I would say if you don't have my travel guide, for every mound you see, you'll have driven by two. Oh, wow. That you didn't wow. know of. So there's a lot more out there than they want you to know about. Like Almost I said, I don't like archaeologists. And they were on me like I was committing some criminal offense. It's like, well, then come and arrest me. I gave directions to a pile of dirt. <laughs> so, so throw me away and roll over along, you know, that deserves. Yeah. So some of them had been dug into, um, some of them had not. Um, some of them did have giants in them at one time. So, you know, you can go and see those. May have to have to do a road trip here. No kidding. Well, to give you an idea about these earthworks, because people might be thinking, you know, you could put one in your front lawn. <laughs> the Newark earthworks. The circle and the octagon, there is a regulation-sized golf course inside the earthwork. Oh, geez. I'm not talking an executive course with par threes and par fours. I'm talking big country club, oh, old tennis courts. Takes a lot of money to join the country club. Yeah. Uh, one hole is outside of the enclosure. So when you stand on one embankment of the octagon, way, way in the distance, you can see a ridge, which is part of the octagon. 
you see that and you know that every one of the eight angles and openings is part of, it's an 18.1, 18.6 lunar cycle. That's how long it takes for it to go through this minimum set, maximum set. It takes 18 years for it to do this. All those are lined up to that. So what do you do if it's cloudy for a week? Wait another 18 years? That brings a whole new meaning to an 18-hole golf course. Yeah, and they're about 400 yards a hole. So it's like, how would you check your work? How would you know when you can't even see that embankment over there? I mean, how are you checking your work to make this a perfect octagon? I mean, if you look at it from the air, it's a perfect octagon. Well, how did they check their work? Or you go to seat, or you go to one of these others where those circles were 1,700 feet, something like that, you know? So we're talking quarter of a mile and then being a perfect circle attached to a square that each side was 1,080 feet. Oh. And there's, there's either four or five of those all around up. Chillicothe, Ohio. It's almost like they could watch from the air. Uh, yes. Or they had somebody guiding them from the air. But how did they do it? Uh, yeah, and then I... you add in Geller Hill, and it's a perfect isosceles triangle from Geller Hill to the circle to the other circle. How they were able to line up with the octagon. The only way you can do it is, is survey. Yeah. Is being able to being able to survey. I, I talked to a uh, when I was work, working with uh, L.A. on his uh, in search of the uh, Nephilim. I interviewed a uh, surveyor and I said, if I wanted to build this complex today, what would be like the minimum math that I would use? And he said. If you didn't know trig, you couldn't build them. That is, yeah, trigonometry is not not an easy math course either. <laughs> it's not for the feeble-minded. <laughs> yes. Now, the Amorites had the advanced trigonometry. You can look it up on YouTube of uh, Babylonian tablets or Babylonian math. Okay. And they go through there, and the one guy says... Yeah, by using a base 60 opposed to a, uh, you know, base 10, they were yeah. able to do more advanced trigonometry than what we're doing uh, today. So they brought that over there. You know, if we're just going to be reasonable people and say, well, we got all this, this math, who around that time had this knowledge, then you would say the Amorite. Well, who are they? Well, they were one of the accounted giants in the Bible. Oh, really? Because we got giants everywhere in the Ohio Valley. So we got giants and we got math. And then we have mining. And they were mining for lead. I found an ancient lead mine. And they added a little bit of lead to something Oh, I can't remember what it was. 
they didn't use a lot of it. But over in Pennsylvania, the French had found it and said, well, we didn't do this. You know, that's early 1700s, but it's like, this lead, this hill has been mined for lead. So they were going over some, you know, getting some other trace minerals and uh, probably sending those back to the Mediterranean as well. Okay. So, they were here. Because I heard the theory that most of the Nephilim fled here when uh, Moses came into the promised land and started in through Exodus as as the Israelites came through the promised land, a lot of the the Nephilim tribes fled the promised land to here. But this sounded like they were here even before that, mining and, and gathering resources and shipping it back. And well right. after. Right. Yeah. Well, they knew about North America. Okay. So it was the way to go. You know, they probably took the uh, northern route, northern England. What's your first stop? Is it Greenland or Iceland or yeah. Greenland to Iceland? And then down to Newfoundland or mm -hmm. Labrador and then down the coast. But that would allow you like 2,000 miles, 1,500 miles, and 1,000 miles. So you could kind of hop, hop your way over. So you didn't need a boat to go straight across, you know, from England, you know, to New York. They probably went that northern route. But yeah, they they had already known about it. Wow. But we have evidence of people being here at least four, five thousand years ago. Up in Labrador, there are standing stones. There's a stone mound with a doorway lintel in it, which is all, you know, totally megalithic. Yeah. So we know the megalithic people, 35, 5,000 BC, somewhere around there. We know they had already come over to it. Somebody followed the Great Lakes, ended up on Isle Royal, was walking around, picking up chunks of copper and going. This is crazy. You know, we have to dig for this stuff. Yeah. It's dirty. It has all sorts of elements in it. So we have to cook it down. We have to cook all the other minerals that are in it. It was quite a process, you know, just to get pure copper. Where here, the copper is 99.9% .9 pure. And the only impurity is silver. And they have found Egyptian bowls and they have found some other things that had little pieces of silver. And they knew where they came from, but stuff like that is just buried. Yeah, that... The only copper like that in the world, and they have found artifacts over there, copper artifacts, that they know came from Miles St. Royal. But like I said, this is buried. Yeah, oh my goodness. They don't want people to know this story. It because it was Native Americans who were living peacefully amongst themselves. No, they were killing one another. They were in the Stone Age over here. Oh, yeah. The Manchis were fighting the Apaches uh, and the Miami were fighting the Potawatomi. You know, it was constant warfare. So we introduced a whole new kind of warfare for them, but never was there 
an empire that could mobilize the manpower needed to mine the copper, or, you know, the oil. Yeah. They just never had that. You know, they were relatively small groups, small villages tied together under umbrella of, of people, whether, you know, be Iroquois or Algonquins or what. Yeah. Now, the Dakota Sioux, so there's the Adena, those are the Amorites. Then there's the Hopewell, and the Hopewell were Native Americans. Those were the Dakota Sioux. And their legends say they lived in the Ohio Valley. Um, the Sioux had a tradition of being mountain builders. You find a lot of lunar, solar things on their teepees. There's a group called the Mandan Indians who are all gone now. Somebody tells you they're a Mandan Indian, they're lying to you because they're all gone. But when George Catlin, back in the uh, 1830s, went out west, he was the first to see the Mandan Indians. And the Mandans, you know, trace their genealogy back to the Ohio Valley. Uh -huh. But Catlin said a lot of them had blonde hair. A lot of them had red hair. A lot of them had green eyes. And a lot of them had blue eyes. And he said, if I didn't know any different, he said, I would say they're Europeans. Oh, wow. my goodness. Now, some people will say, what's well, Prince Maddox? He's like, no, no. Seven guys did not change the ge genetic makeup of the whole tribe. Yeah. Besides, to have blonde hair or green eyes, your dad has to carry the gene and your mother has to carry the gene. But you can look up George Catlin and look at his drawings of the Mandan Indians, and he draws a blonde-haired woman with blue eyes. So where did that come from? Well, it was from all those years. And then people say, well, what happened to the Giants? It's like, well, they got absorbed into the Dakota. Now, wasn't it odd, too, that the uh, Dakota Sioux were the uh, tallest Native American people in North America? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. how did that happen? <laughs> right. so not only are they tall, but they have blonde hair. Good luck finding that in modern-day history books. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So there's facts to back all this stuff up. It's not hyperbole of conjecture. We're not watching ancient aliens. We're not watching something. We're not watching Oak Island where, you know, they pick up an iron rod that a farmer lost 100 years ago and say it's part of the sword or something <laughs> like that. It all goes together. It's all documented. There's all photos, paintings, pictures, pictures of weapons from the Mideast, pictures of weapons from here. They're identical. The math, the geometry. Well, let's call, call it sacred geometry. Well, one earthwork in Chillicothe, they made a rhomboid. And I'm not even sure what a rhomboid is, but it's like both the sides, one side goes up higher than the other, and then it angles down. 
and then the other side angles down. But the exact definition of a rhomboid, I don't know. I couldn't tell you right. But anyway, the Earth works a romb. And it's like, why did they build a rhomboid earthwork? Because they could. Just because they could do it. Almost like a signature so they know or other people know exactly what it was designed for or that it was designed for what am i trying to say it was designed with a certain intention in mind so if they would go to a different place i don't i'm just speculating but if they would go to a different place and they would come across the same earthworks with the same mathematical lengths they would know they were the same group of people who had designed it i guess is what i'm i'm trying to say yeah you see that a lot with the hinges because they're most of the time 210 feet okay. in diameter, or 660. So there's a lot of commonality in measure of earthworks, depending on whether they're solar or earth mother. Oh, yeah. But the number will tell you what... I could look at the number and tell you the shape. That's like if great. somebody said 1080, it's like you're looking at a square. Somebody said 210, I go, you're looking at a hint. You know, I can tell by the numbers what what the shape is. The Ohio River Valley must have looked a, a lot different than what I've ever imagined. Or been taught. Yeah, or been taught. <laughs> would they all have been in use at like the same time frame? Or would they build one and then it would kind of go get overgrown and they would and someone else would come along and they'd build another one? It was a progression. I think they're early ones. I think Newark was an early one, but they were building them right up to about 200 AD. So it would basically be like when you start a town, what are you going to build? You're going to build a schoolhouse and you're going to build a church. So you have this group of people and they would go for these solar events, lunar events, things like that. Now, what's kind of cool with uh, Newark is there's a thing called the Hopewell Road, and it supposedly ran from Chillicothe right out of the octagon. You can actually see the earthwork of the Hopewell Road from Newark to Chillicothe, but I've only got it up to Ramp Creek. But that road, you can see it running through the field right next to Geller Hill. So I was just thinking last night, the octagon and the circle are a little more than a mile away. Am I high enough on Geller Hill where I can see those? Because you would take this sacred via to Geller Hill and maybe there is where you would witness minimum moonrise, maximum moonrise. Another thing they don't like to mention, because now we know it's pagan, is that the hinge is aligned to the May 1st sunrise. So we know it's pagan yeah. when you're talking that. And so October 31st, the sun would have sat and then lined up with the gateway. So May 1st and October 31st, one is life, one is death. But they don't like to bring that up 
because it screams pagan. What the Celts practice, their religion, really harkens back to exactly what the Amorites were practicing in the Ohio Valley. We have oh. sacred wells. We have wells were stoned up in Coshocton, uh, Ohio. There was a there was a well, and they built twenty foot road, all made of like red granite, and they ran it for I don't know, hundred yards or something, out of this well. I mean, it must have been incredible to look at. But, you know, they were into sacred wells. A lot of times you will find springs, not wells, springs. You'll find springs around uh, notable earthworks, burial mounds, stuff like that. It was considered a portal to the uh, underworld. So they were, they were sacred spots. One last thing, 666. I mentioned that a couple of times in the earthwork. That's the devil's number. And I say, you have a Bible, right? Well, do you actually read the scripture? Or are you just going by 666, the devil's number? Because it says, let he who hath understanding count the number. And that number is the beast. Now, breaking down that sentence, it says, let he who hath understanding count all right we need okay. to count who are we going to count who was killing christians in the Colosseum at the time the roman count the roman numerical system 500 100 50 10 5 1 what does that equal 666 because 666 shows up in the bible three times Okay. They bring Solomon 666 talents of gold. Oh, well, let's goodness. look at the number. Let's look at Solomon. What does soul mean? Son. Am was son in Egyptian, and An was son in Hindu. Oh, oh wow. Aman means son, son, son. That's wow. why they brought him. 666 talents of gold and Solomon had a special place for sun worshipers in the temple then there was another guy who was escaping Babylon and with him were 666 people his name was Adonachem but Adon is the same as Adonis who was a sun god so we have Adon Again, we have the Egyptian name for An, Sun, and we have 666. Wow. So you don't have to make this stuff up. It's there. All you have to do is know the language and know what it means. And the world's a different place. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> so next time somebody gives you $6.66 and change, you don't have to freak out. <laughs> it just means the sun. <laughs> But if you're going to tie up a Christian and let a lion eat him, then you're in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's just part of the ignorance of the church, too. Because that 666 is like, that's the demon. 
read the damn Bible. It doesn't say the number of the devil is 666. It said, let he who has understanding. I live right next to a church. I see them filing in with their Bibles under their hands. And I said, you haven't picked that thing up since you drove home from church last Sunday and put it wherever you put your Bible. You've not read one word of that. But people carry their Bible around, but they don't understand it. They especially don't understand the Old Testament. Yeah, because the megalithic world is in there, too. Well, we don't know what the megaliths were for. Read the Bible. They're building pillars. They're pouring oil on them. They're worshiping these pillars. They believe that souls of dead people are in. They were building stone circles. They were, they built a circle of stones, 12 stones. Babylonian, 12 shows up. Apostles, 12. But I'm finishing up book nine. No, 10, 11, and 12. Mysteries of Ancient America, three and four. Done. I just have to stick them together. Wow. And then I'm doing Destination Macabre and Erie Historic Guide, Indiana. And I just don't think there's any any more secrets out there for me to find. And I have no desire to find them. Well, you'll always be welcome back here. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing else to do. It's not like I'm writing books or anything. I got plenty of of free time. Just call me in the afternoon and go, hey, somebody dropped out. Go on. All right. Well, perfect. Yeah, you made a mistake giving me your phone number. (laughs) Yeah, you got my email, my phone number. Yeah, come on for an hour. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Thanks again for coming on, Mr. Zimmerman. We just, we loved every minute of it. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on to to keep blowing our minds like you did tonight. Yep. Lola Harrison, great talking with you. You have a great night. You too.